Good morning, everyone, or afternoon, or night, whenever you're listening to this. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Stephen Tager. This is the Revival Podcast. Every week, we take a conference talk, and we... Uh, we talk about just the parts of it that feel reviving, actually, the parts that are encouraging and hopeful and, and uh, man, just give us uh, some help on our faith journey and uh, some things to think about. And uh, this week is, I'm obsessed with the title of this talk. Like, I wish the title came up before it would have started, you know? Should they do that in conference? It would have made me want to pay attention. A little, a little trailers? Bit more. Yeah, yeah. A little, like thing. It's just like, next talk, Christ-like poise. Man. I'd be like, ooh. I'd be like, this is going to be good. What if Dave Butler was in charge of general conference? What would it look like? Oh, my gosh. I Wait, is that it? <laughs> I actually like started thinking of a couple of suggestions right away, and I was like, I think that was a rhetorical question. I'm, ki- so. I'm kind of excited, sort of scared out of my mind about the idea. <laughs> I have a couple of ideas, so if anyone wants to come knocking. Um, but legit, don't you, is that title, like, I it calls to me, something like that does. And I, it might be because I've thought, a lot about this in like my study of the New Testament. That might be why it calls to me, but just that whole idea of Christ-like poises, or it may be just the Southern in me, you know, like where <laughs> I just like saw, you know, especially you get to East Texas, you see like what you might call a little bit of like Southern poise or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know what it is, but this is Elder Bragg's talk and um, I'm excited to jump into this. Uh, he starts by talking about one of the heroes of planet Earth. The legend. Yes. Like, like uh. who, homeboy gets advice from the John Wooden. He Ooh. has been waiting his whole life <laughs> to tell that story. I can't believe he didn't tell it in his first general, because he says this is my second general That's conference boys, talk. not just walking That's around boys. with a yeah, t-shirt like, that says, I knew I'm John, John Wooden. <laughs> he gave me life advice. <laughs> there are probably some young listeners who don't know who John Wooden is. And I so love first, that you said that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> first, we'll forgive them for not knowing. Encourage them to go confess that sin to their bishop. Oh, my and gosh. So we should explain to who that to to them who John Wooden is. John Wooden is the most decorated, respected, I think, uh, right? Of any, I, of any sport, right? probably. Of yeah. any athletic, he was, he was a coach for yeah. UCLA. Yeah, spent most of his career, the the years we know about, at least, I don't think I know where he was before yeah, yeah. Um, UCLA, but. It would take just, both hands to count the national championships he won. He won man, 10 he so national close championships. To three hands, so close. Right? <laughs> 10 years, almost like, oh, but 10 sounds good. One of the things that he's known for, um, I don't know if, if, if I could say that, but I think one of the things that like stands out to me and what I've learned about him is the way that he would coach. Mm. So you just, when you hear from him, you hear a lot of wisdom. You hear a lot of really deliberate coaching. You hear a lot of focus on character. Not a of, shouter. Not right. you're not going to see him turn red and you know get super angry. At least from what I've I understand. Right? Yeah, it's and just, heard. Although sometimes, like I watch a game and I think someone needs to go into the locker room and break a clipboard, okay, to get this team, <laughs> especially if it's a team that I need to be winning. But um, so one of the things that uh, you know I've heard and read about John Wooden is that when he would coach every season. For one of the things that he would begin with is he would start with his players and how to tie their shoes. Mm. 
Like, and that's what he would, like, that's what he would begin with. And there were a lot of players who would push back against that and be like, what are we doing? Like, why are we like, but just was focused on like, here are the fundamentals. And if we can practice it right now, then in a moment of play or whatever the situation may be, mid-season, NCAA tournament, whatever it is, like I've got it down. I've got the fundamentals down. I know what to do. They're ingrained in me and just, I mean, almost like, well, Elder Bragg's going to use a line in his talk about focusing on what matters most. And I wonder if that's sort of like a similar thing. Yeah, here I, with, yeah I mean, go ahead, sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say that that fits in perfectly with sort of where Elder Bragg begins the talk. Um, uh, John Wooden was at the house apparently, right? And he and uh, Elder Bragg was talking about like, like he does, <laughs> like you know, he does. <laughs> right? And and it's um, they were just talking, and always the teacher says Elder Bragg. John Wooden said, "Your father told me that you have joined the Church of Jesus Christ, so I know that you have faith in the Lord. With that faith, be sure to have poise in every situation. Be a good man in a storm. Hmm. So things like." Practicing how to put on your shoes, your socks, tying your shoelaces seems small, but that's going to set us up for where this talk is going about how do we practice and become the kind of person that can maintain poise in in every situation. In our culture right now, I, I think this is not even really highly valued, the idea no. of poise. Uh-uh. You know, it almost, I think for some people, it would come across like stuffy or fake or like proper. Uh, Elder Bragg says, but poise is not spoken about much these days and practiced even less in turbulent and in divisive times. Yeah, yeah. It feels like go off the handle is maybe the <laughs> more norm, you know, with, with things right now. And Why do you think that is? Like, why, why have we lost this value culturally? I don't know, man. I, that's such a good question. But I just, I, I, I feel like it... I, don't you feel like over the last cur- like couple of years, like almost like the heat's been turned up on people? And I know this is like oversaid right now, but uh, it's worth recognizing the problem of the the world we're living in right now. It's a really, really mean spirited world, yeah. you know, where where people are um, saying things that they normally wouldn't say. You're just like, what? Why? Why would you? feel like you needed to say something like that or do something like that. I, I think part of the reason is people think they're being authentic if they're being angry or mean. and um, But that's actually not being true to our best self. In fact, there mm. are some arguments that people think anger is, is somewhat delusional. It's a for, it's like it's a kind of delusion because you're not acting in your best judgment. You're not seeing the situation clearly. And so there's actually good reason to think that anger is part of our most fake the, the fakest parts of our identity, right? Not the most authentic. And I'm not smart enough to know this, but you, I just said this thought of like we live in a 10 second clip, right? Mm. World right now. And maybe we're really responsive instead of intentional and deliberate. Right. You know, maybe that's kind of become a shift of, we just react and respond is what we do. And it's really quick and easy to react. Like we just live in like a world that's like boom, 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 boom. And so like, is there time for somebody to like, um, I don't know, just like let things settle and work through and wonder and analyze and listen. And uh, maybe 
I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. Yeah, I think that that's huge. Some, someone in a, 200 years from now can look back and analyze it and tell us what happened. <laughs> and I think I think there's something to be said about a soul that is sort of calmed down and can read a situation and analyze it. And that may or may not be quickly. It's just that rather than having a reactive disposition, they have a thoughtful and, you know, they're in, um, in uh, what's the word? They're purposeful about the way that they make decisions. Well, and okay, so this is what I'm going to say is that as I study the New Testament, like Jesus is put into some pretty fiery situations, yes. you know, and and quick cuts at him too. And right. I just feel like if you look at all the stories, like he handles the way he handles every situation, I'm going to call Christ-like poise. Like he just... Uh, is so collected and so calm. And I would argue and say, even in the days that he's flipping tables over, you know, like there was, uh, like, I don't imagine it being a moment of rage and a, and a reaction, you know, but, um, man, I, like what the one that comes to mind is they drag that adulterous woman into the temple and mm. man, emotions are high when that happens for sure and fingers are pointed and he's put on the spot and you know, he kneels down and colors in the ground, you know, I'm just like, he just slows it down, you know, and there's something about a soul like that where it's just, I don't know that it's so admirable. It's so like, wait, I want, I actually would like to live with that kind of, um, what's the opposite of like edginess, you know, he's just like wholeness, like shalom, yeah. you know, it's whatever yeah. that it feels like that Hebrew word of peace wholeness is like the, it's like a word that describes his soul. Yeah. Elder Bragg says, and, and it's exactly going along with what you're saying. Elder Bragg says under the immense pressure to enable the salvation of all humankind. So he's going to the most intense moment. Mm. Jesus demonstrated three important conditions that help us understand his great poise. So if we want this, if we want to have this, this is, this is what other And I think it's like, I want, I want it not because I want to be seen as a well-mannered person. I'm just like thinking through this right now. Like, why would I want spiritual poise? You know, like, I don't want, I don't need somebody to say like, man, David handles all situations super right. well, but. I have felt agitation of soul and spirit before, and I've reacted and responded in ways that I've regretted. And I actually would love to live life in a, like if you just say, oh, man, I, w I almost want a picture image of this, you know, like yeah. just a, like a calm lake on a summer morning that has depth, you know, where you're just like, if that could be the state of my soul, like I would actually love to live life from, draw from that well. I want my answers and my responses to draw from a really deep, calm, collected, you know. Yeah. What did Joseph say on the way to Carthage? He said, I'm calm as a summer's morning. Yeah, so that's so sweet. It right? is. You, you, uh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no. I'm just, I was just going to say, you walk outside, you've got basketball shorts on, flip-flops, right? You sit on your swing chair, blue skies, white clouds. You can hear a lawnmower in the distance. You turn on your Spotify playlist, chill. And Joseph says, that's how I felt on the inside. But the, what you're adding is not just relaxed, which my analogy is fine, but I, when he says calm as a summer's morning, I think the way you said it is better because there's something deep behind it too. Mm -hmm. It's anchored in something, in, yeah. in, in eternal truths and goodness and beauty. It's a good word. You know. So you look, meet people like that every now and then where you're just like, you are, 
So I actually said, Jenny's actually a person who's like this, my Jenny. One time I said to her, your spiritual gift is steadiness. Hmm. And she said back, is that a nice way to say boring? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, no, 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 not at all. But like legit, like... That's how, that's how I yeah. like, like, I was like, you're just steady. Like you just are. And you so needed that in your life, David Butler. Let me tell you, <laughs> I still do. <laughs> so anyways, I long, I actually long for this sort of like living. And so I, maybe that's why I'm super intrigued by it also. Yeah. So let's break down these three things. He says, first, if you want this poise, he says, know who you are and be true to your divine identity. He says to begin knowing who we are and being true to our divine identity brings calm. That's really interesting because it suggests that getting our identity wrong is part of the reason why we start to get agitated, mm, get off, right? Yeah. And this, the, the thing here is that it's not so much about um, like controlling my emotions in the sense like I snap out of it, but understanding human nature enough that I can experience very troubling emotions, difficult things, but I know who I am and I know I'm not my emotions. I am not those things. And so I have some distance from that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the people who study this, they call that psychological distance. I think we've talked about this before. And it's the difference between saying I am my feelings and I'm experiencing these emotions. And so what I know I am not the passing emotions that come and go like the weather I'm much much better able to sort of notice that they're happening and then still make wise, thoughtful decisions in the moment. Yeah, almost like adjust to the winds. I don't know if that's a good analogy. Right. Where you just say, right. oh, this wind is coming from this direction, and so let me adjust my sails for it. Because I actually think there's something about, you know, he takes us to Gethsemane, and there is something in there where Jesus expresses and pours out his emotions to God in prayer where he just says, like, he just like, I am heavy. This is hard. Like, this is hard. Right. right? He doesn't run from what those emotions are. Like, he, he says them, like, I'm experiencing this. I want to quit. I, w- I want there to be another way to this, you know? But then he's able to, like, okay, express those, talk about those, and then, but then remember, this is who I am. And this is what I, this is my divine mission. It's what I came to do is, is this. And I don't know if like trust is a, is a part of that also. Like if my divine identity is son of God, and maybe this spills into his third one, um, but where he just trusts God, right? Where he just says, but I understand that you know what's best. And so I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to like settle into that. Right. Right. I'm going I'm to like experience this hard in light of you are in control and I'm your son. So I know that you are not going to lead me to a place that's uh, destructive or terrible or it doesn't have meaning or purpose yet, right? You're not going to leave me alone in this, I guess. I, I don't, you know, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but there is something about um, my divine identity as a child and not just a creation, hmm. but there's going to be concern and there's care, there's awareness. You know, there's something about that that actually settles me, could that calms me in like a difficult situation. 
Yeah, I guess. yeah, absolutely. Is a part of our ide- divine identity is understanding that our relationship to God as His children. Yeah, and that we're loved and cared for and nurtured just uh, infinitely more than the best parents do to their children. Right? Yeah. I want to slide this in because first of all, you need to go to Oberammergau because you're German, and it's like <laughs> your destiny to go there. But the passion play that is done there and we don't have time to like go over that look it up everybody the just the tradition in that city is just beautiful and fantastic but they perform a play on the the last days of the life of jesus the passion of jesus and this year i got to go and the angel that comes you know luke tells us this angel comes into gethsemane and we don't hear anything about the dialogue that happens there but the writers of the passion play gave dialogue to the angel And I thought it was awesome that in the dialogue that they gave the angel, he quotes scripture and reminds Jesus who he is and what he came to do. Hmm. Like quotes from Isaiah, like you came to set the captives free. Like, and there was something about that that's, I'm thinking as a, you know, as a parent, like how do I help my children develop Christ-like poise? And one thing could be to, hey, emphasize, remind who they are and what their divine mission is on this earth. Like, listen, you didn't come to the earth to be right. You know, you didn't come to this, you know, world to fill in the blank. Like, let me remind you why you're here. Like what, you know, and I, maybe that spills into a second thing. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. It absolutely does. In fact, I think it was Stephen Covey who said, or may have been quoting someone else, but he said, identity is destiny, hmm. right? And that plays into what he says next. He says, know that there is a divine plan. Well, can I say one other thing about Please. identity? You just reminded me of this. Uh, I had uh, was listening to a lady speak who was volunteering at, a pri- at the prison. And she, one of the things she was doing there was helping them actually like discover who their ancestors were and, and that kind of thing. And she was with a certain inmate and... Um, said to him, she found out he was a direct descendant of Hiram Smith. Mm. And he said after, oh, if I had known that, I don't know if I would be in jail. Wow. And I was like, that is such an intriguing comment to make, that there's something, the understanding your identity, and even, I mean, (laughs) that's like a, that's way less potent than a divine identity, right? Right. But to know what the character of Hiram Smith was and to know, wait, I'm a direct descendant of someone so courageous and so loyal and so brave, like knowing that he thought would change the decisions he made in in his life. Yeah, this is one of my favorite parts about our particular tradition, the restoration, restored Christianity, is that we have a pretty radical view of what the potential of each child of God is and how that we believe that influences the way we act, act in this world and decisions we make. Yeah. It's pretty amazing that, um, uh, just knowing like what our destiny is can change us from the, in the day to day. Yeah. You know? He says by framing challenging times within an, within a within an eternal plan. Oh yeah, this is the second one, yeah. Right, okay. right. Sorry, I derailed no, us No, you're totally fine. Pressure becomes a privilege to love, serve, teach, and bless. An eternal view enables Christ-like poise. So you go to church, you read uh, religious things, you see stuff on Instagram, and people say, you know, um, 
you know, keep the faith, uh, you know, like develop an eternal perspective, all that stuff. But what Elder Bragg is teaching us here is so profound because he says it's during the difficult moments where we really get to practice that stuff, mm. where we really get to develop the muscle memory behind becoming the type of person who has poise. It's precisely the moments where we don't feel like living the gospel, when we actually try to live out the implications of the good news that really develop our strength and poise. Mm. So, so explain that a little bit more. That a moment of difficulty is the place where spiritual poise is developed. I mean, it's also needed right. and developed right. at the same time, right. I guess. Right. Yeah, and I guess, you know, you do it in small ways as much as you can and hopefully build up for those bigger moments. But even in the big moments, if we don't feel like we, it's not well, quite... Well, and let me just say like a smaller moment would be... I'm trying to think of how do I practice living with an eternal perspective in a smaller moment. I, I guess it's, uh, I wake up, uh, someday and I have a choice of how to spend my time and I can either spend my time on, you know, with the perspective, with an eternal perspective, or I could spend my time with a different one. And would that, would that count as like a smaller yeah. moment where I'm just like, does that help develop? You, does it, do you see what I'm trying to ask? I here? think and, so. And I, and I think it's just important to remember because sometimes in a, in, a, in an attempt to be empathetic, when people are going through difficult times, we almost want to say, hey, you can put your faith on the shelf. And I want to say, oh, no, that's, that's the moment when it's most beautiful, when it will become most alive to you, is when, you, when you're like, ah, this is so hard, and say, no, go to that funeral actually believing that God raised Jesus from the dead and that families are eternal, mm. right? Or when someone who deeply wrongs you actually go into that saying, you know, I'm perfectly loved uh, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's, those are the moments to like gently help people like really practice your faith at this time, you mm. know, and it can sound trite. It can sound like, oh yeah, just be faithful. But it's actually when it, the gospel goes from head to heart or is when we practice it in difficult moments. Yeah. Cause see that really smart thing about Feelings and actions, their order, because I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, and a lot of pop, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, a lot of pop psychology sort of suggests that if you kind of change your thoughts and feelings, then that'll change your action. And there might be something to motivational techniques and things like that, but ultimately, feelings follow behavior. You change your behavior first, and then the feelings follow. You practice living a certain way, and then you become something. Right? That's that's the order. That order's so valuable. <laughs> it's so valuable for a person who's trying to like develop and live in a certain way to understand like, wait, that's actually the, that's the way that it works. Yeah. You've, you've got to stretch yourself a little bit first before it actually starts to feel authentic. Right. It's so cool. He finishes with this, uh, Elder Bragg. He says, know the enabling power of Jesus Christ and his atonement. And he says, it's so simple. He says, as we focus on Christ, we can hush our fears. And going back to what you were hinting at earlier, when you go to the cross in your mind and you think if, if, this is what the love of God is like. I've got nothing to worry about. If it takes a crown of thorns and nails and mocking for my sake, there is nothing that can happen to me that God can't turn into good and, and beauty some, some time down the road. Yeah. And so uh, as Christians, we have access, the, su the supreme revelation of God is Jesus. And so we don't just say in the abstract, God loves us. The way that, that gets into the basement of our heart is by going to the cross and seeing this is the love of God. 
Mm. And then that is, that's the kind of thing that starts to create poise in our life. Yeah. And, well, and Jesus did that in Gethsemane, right? Where he just turned, he trusted in the character and the heart of the father he knew so well. And then he shows us to do that same thing. And when we wonder what his heart and character and trust are like, we, we look to Jesus and the cross to see that, where we're just like, okay, that's what you're like. I can actually live, I, I don't know, it almost feels like um, if, you, if you did something uh uh, like it's so stupid to like a skydiving or bungee jumping, but you were you were just confident that you were secure and safe. You could enjoy it, you know. Or like I know the doors are locked, so I'm gonna sleep peacefully because <laughs> like does that make sense? Right. Like I'm. It creates in a, me a calmness to feel like protected and in the in the bounds and the arms of someone so powerful and so loving at the same time. Like they're just. I don't know. It's yeah. something for my soul. That's perfect. Elder Bragg says that it's through Christ and his atonement that all good things come into our lives, right? Including poise. And uh, that's at the heart of it is, is uh, um, the center of the universe is the love of God, who he is and his character. And I, I think the, it's so important to realize that there are moments when God will test us um, and this, because that kind of trusting relationship is so liberating, it is not fun to be around people who you have to be careful about everything you say mm. and do, and you have to explain yourself all the time. Um, and that's not a very liberating relationship. And so God wants us to have a deeply trusting relationship. And so there'll be moments that where we cannot come up with the reasons why God did something or allowed something or allowed something to happen in church history. And it just has to be about his character. Yeah. And that stretches us. That's what Abraham learned in Genesis 22 is, I don't know. I don't know. This doesn't seem fair or good or true or right, but I know God. Mm. And somehow, someday he will make this right. Ooh, so good. Oh, we could go on forever, but we shall not. All right, man. <laughs> okay. We'll see you next week for more Revival. Revival.